It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Talent Talk. We're back for another fantastic episode, having two incredible guests to talk to you today about talent, about what makes them talented, uh, and hopefully learn something we can take back to our, our companies, back to our staff, maybe even back home on how to be better leaders, better people. Uh, and that's really what this conversation is all about. And for those of you that have ever tuned in before, you know that I created this because I was always having these conversations with people personally on the phone, at conferences, and it felt like I was getting just led into the best secrets of all time, but people telling me these incredible ideas and solutions and strategies they had, um, but no one else got to hear it. So we thought, why not put this on the air? Why not have these conversations out in front of everybody and let's talk about it and, of course, invite our audience as well to be a part of that conversation. So you can go to Twitter at, and follow at PeopleG2 with the hashtag Talent Talk, and you can ask questions there. We're also live streaming on Facebook, on LinkedIn, um, on YouTube, uh, where else? All kinds of places. Um, and so uh, either on Twitter or on LinkedIn, if you comment there, we will certainly, while we're live, be able to respond and talk to you. If you're listening after the fact, that's okay. On any of those platforms, if you put in a, a comment, whether you agree, disagree, or have a question, uh, me, I will certainly make sure I respond. I'm sure my guests will monitor those platforms as well and get in their response. So you can keep the conversation going. You can continue learning. You can be a part of it. And that really helps us get the word out to help leaders be the best they can be. Now, I've had so many wonderful stories over the, year, come, over the years come out of these conversations. I've put them in a couple books. The first one is The Power of Company Culture. It was a bestseller all about what makes a great culture. And then my latest book this year came out, Remote Work, also a bestseller. Love to have you check those out if any of those topics of either working flexibly remotely or having a great company culture is of interest to you. All right, so let's talk about who's on the show today. Excited to have Eric Harkins, a Forbes Books author and president of GKG Search and Consulting. And then after the uh, commercial break, we'll bring in Dr. Robert Flower, author of Decoding the Holy Grail and Discovering uh, oops, and the discovery of the potential molecule. Uh, he's a leading authority and um, lots of, of, of content around potential and achievement. We're excited to talk to him. But let's go ahead and bring in my first guest, Eric. Welcome to the show, sir. Hey, Chris. Uh, great to be here. Excited for the conversation. So we know you're uh, you're an author uh, through Forbes Books, which is exciting. You're a speaker. Uh, you also run an organization, so you sound uh, about as busy as I am, which is good to hear. I like. 
busy. I like talking to busy people because they have a lot, right. lot to say and a lot of good strategies. So yep. how are you today? And, and, and maybe tell everyone a little bit about you. What else should we know for the context of our conversation today that I didn't hit? Yeah, no, thanks. Uh, so I am uh, originally from Minnesota and spent 25 years kind of grinding away through corporate America and had a chance to work for lots of different companies, Fortune 50, privately held, private equity backed, kind of the full opportunity of experiences. And at the uh, end of 2019, I started GKG Search and Consulting. The elevator pitch is pretty simple. GKG stands for Get, Keep and Grow. And so we work with companies and have a number of different things we do to help them get talent, keep talent, and grow talent. And uh, as you mentioned, I, I published a book with Forbes Books, Great Leaders, Make Sure Monday Morning Doesn't Suck. It's a little glare there. but uh, uh, And that's what I used to talk about all the time when I was uh, in corporate America. Listen, if you're a leader, I don't really care what your job title is. As far as I'm concerned, you really only have one job. Your only job as a leader is to make sure Monday morning doesn't suck. So that's what we like to work with companies on. Well, that's pretty awesome. I like that kind of framing. It's the first time I've heard that. Um, yeah. you know, I'm always sort of focusing on how do we make meetings better? How do we, you know, like I, I was thinking if meetings suck, like your culture yeah. sucks, right. right? If people are like right. trying not to be in meetings, there's a good reason why. So I love right. the framing of, you know, making more Monday morning not suck, which is a, a great, yeah. great lesson. You know, it's, and I'm sure you, you've seen this too, but I, I love to, you know, ask a leader, hey, tell me about what's your job? And they do. Oh, I'm the VP of finance. I'm the director of operations. And then you ask them, hey, what do you do to make sure Monday morning doesn't suck? And it's just this great reaction. Like, I don't know. Nobody's ever asked me that question before. So we're having a lot of fun with it. Uh, my goal is to change Monday, you know, change workplace culture one Monday morning at a time. So maybe we could talk about why is it some employees uh, get a get a sick feeling in their stomach on Sunday evening? Yeah. when they're thinking about work, right? What is that sort of anxiety yeah. <laughs> and that, that build up, right? It's more, I think it's more it's, than the, than the post at NFL right? letdown, right? There's more to it than hey, that. <laughs> trust me, as a Minnesota Vikings fan, it's hard to be positive on Monday morning, but um, I'll tell you, it's a real thing. I mean, we've all either had it. I've certainly had it in my career. Or we know somebody that, yeah, you're right. Sunday night, they get that pit in their stomach. And uh, I think it's because of one of three things. You know, either they're a high performer and their boss hasn't told them that yet, or they're a low performer and their boss hasn't told them that yet, or they're stuck somewhere in the middle and they just need some direction and nobody's giving it to them. So I, I really, in the book, I actually talk about that, you know, that pit in the stomach on Sunday night. And it's very, very easily avoidable, but uh, you have to, you have to be you know, willing to tell your employees kind of where they stand. Well, we've talked a lot about uh, on this show this, you know, communicating with people at a much higher level, more frequent level about where they're at and how they're doing and what right. that looks like, right? And I think the problem is that people want to take the annual review and then just multiply it like 12 times. And that's not, you can't do it, right? Just an extra uh, 11 times every year. But yeah. you can have smaller conversations and help yeah. people understand. So that's a really big part of, geez, I'm going to show up tomorrow at work. I know I'm on track. I know right. I'm doing what right. I'm supposed to do. I know my boss is happy with me. So Monday morning's not going to suck. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of my favorite things to talk to leaders about is this idea that performance management is not a one-time event. <laughs> to your point, it's not just the annual review. It's not just a, you know, 30-day check-in after they join. And it's especially not just when you're so frustrated with somebody's performance that you don't even want to give them a chance anymore. And so I talk about this, it's, it's fluid, right? I mean, it, it really starts all the way upstream during the interview process and that initial onboarding, you know, setting the stage of who you are as a company. 
And then it should just be a daily thing, right? Check-ins and and measurement and coaching and having fun and all these things. And, you know, the, the people who, you know, stress because, oh, it's annual review time and I had to spend a week writing reviews. It's like, well, have you not been talking to your employees like every day and every week and every month? You know, nothing should be a surprise. Hopefully they know where they stand. But yeah, I love that. Performance management is not a one-time event. That's something we spend a lot of time working with leaders on. And then the, the, the sort of the second part of that is, you know, what, what do we expect of them? What, what is it we want them to do? And, you know, I, I sort of learned this lesson the hard way over the years. I used to try to not put so many constraints, not make things so cumbersome with rules or expectations. But yeah. ultimately, I found out that my people wanted the expectations. They wanted me to tell them exactly what that meeting was going to be and how it was going to be and what. I mean, the more I could share and the more I could curate that experience for them on that, are we going to have a, a Monday morning stand up? And in that stand up, here's who's going to be there and here's what we're going to talk about and here's what I expect from you. Yeah. And that feels like a lot more pressure and a lot more like, I don't know, intense, but yeah. my people always thrived under knowing exactly what was going to happen, right? Sure. Versus me trying to be cool guy and be like, well, let's just come in and we'll just talk, no big deal, and just see how right. everyone's at, right? Right high levels of anxiety Sunday night right. because they didn't know what was going to happen. And I think, yeah. is that is that a big area we see kind of maybe leaders kind of mess up by trying not to put pressure on there that they end up inevitably making it more anxiety filled because no one knows what's going to happen. Yeah, a little bit. I, I think a big part of that is, listen, it, it's your job as a leader to make sure that you have high potential, high performing people in every position, right? And I think some of that anxiety comes when I'm the high performer, but I'm looking around at the rest of the team and I'm watching my leader fail to address that underperformance. And so I'm getting frustrated or now I don't really know what's going to happen because we were supposed to have this meeting, but you know, these two or three people on the team aren't ready to have the meeting. And so I have this concept of, you know, address the one or lose the nine. And it's just this belief that on any team of 10 people, you've got one person who's not performing at the level they need to. And if you're not addressing that, you're going to lose the other nine, right? Three of them are going to quit and go to your competitor. Three of them are going to model that behavior. And three of them are going to quit, but they never give you their notice, right? They show up every day. So I think some of that about the communicating clearly is understanding as a leader, you know, hire high performers and let them do what you hired them to do and get out of their way, set the parameters, be available to block and tackle. But, uh, you know, I think there's this line between the micromanagement and hiring high performers and letting them do the, their thing. So Right, right. Yeah, and I think you can be a uh, not be a micromanager and still be very, very clear about what you want, what the yeah. expectations are, what the goals are, whether the KPIs, how are we going to measure you? All that stuff yeah. can be can be figured out very detailed. But then you yeah. can say, now go get it done. How do you think you need to get it done? Just yeah. I need you to go from A to B yeah. in a month, <laughs> and right. from A to A to F in in a quarter, right. and right. go get it done. Right, and yeah. that's it gets tough for people to do sometimes. Yeah. And I, you know, I, so a big part of the book and, and I think where it really breaks down for people is, you know, companies don't set expectations for their leaders, right. On how they want them to actually show up. And in the book, we have this tool, it's called lead leadership expectations and development. And it's eight simple questions to ask of the leaders in your company. And the first is, do they create a culture high performers want to be a part of? And part of that is understanding that as the leader, it's not about being the subject matter expert. In fact, I argue in the book, your leaders, your senior most people should not be the subject matter experts. You know, I was lucky in my career to be the head of HR at three different companies. 
And I tell people all the time, I don't really know that much about HR. <laughs> and I'm not really being funny when I say that. I knew how to hire people who knew a lot more about HR than I ever will. And I was excited by that. And that, uh, you know, was kind of empowering. Of, hey, I, I need to hire a team who can really, you know, to your point, get all of the work done. But my role is not to direct them. Uh, it's yeah. to create that culture high performance want to be a part of. And that doesn't mean you're this cool boss that does happy hours. It means that you don't let underperformers show up and you hire high potential people. Yeah, and I don't know if you've seen the the show Ted Lasso, but uh, yeah. for for years Great. I have joked that you know if someone's a good coach, and I used to think I was a good coach. I coached lots of different sports. I said I, I could go coach anything. You could throw me right. into rugby, right. right? And I don't really know rugby. I don't really understand all the rules, but like yeah. I feel like my team would be pretty good, and I could figure yeah. out the basics because, and I could hire right. assistant coaches that totally understand the game. Yep. But it's, it's about the management and it's about taking care of your people. And it was about, yeah. you know, identifying good talent and right. Like I don't really know, yep. have to know that. Part. And, and people laughed at me. And then that movie yeah. came, and that TV <laughs> show came out and I'm like, you see, you were ahead of your time, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I truly believe you should be able to take a, a senior leader and put them over any function to your point. And they're going to, yeah. you know, be smart enough to figure out if I have the right people in those positions and I'll kind of figure the rest out. But my job is not to get in the weeds and, again, direct all of the work. So, yeah, I agree with you. See, you, you uh, uh, were way ahead of your time on Ted Lasso. I hope so. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm Maybe a little bit of ignorance there, and may, you know, but uh, you don't know what you don't know, which I think is, right. to your point, it's fun to yeah. not know what you don't know and to try to go figure it out, right? I think, yeah. I, and, to, and to me, that's kind of a sign of a good leader, someone who's yeah. like, I'm willing to try that. I'm willing to go figure that yeah. out. I think that's a great point. I mean, there's this element of, you know, sort of being humble and just being real. You know, in the book, I said, just be who you are. And, you know, it, it, a lot of leaders have just been conditioned that they have to have all the answers. And I actually think people respect a leader a lot more who says, listen, I have no idea, but you know what? We're going to figure it out. Let's go figure it out together or let me go yeah. get the answer and I'll come back to you. And I think the people who are genuine as a leader and, you know, just own up to it instead of, uh, you know, either make something up on the fly because they think they have to have an answer or, hey, let me go figure it out. I'll get back to you. And then they never get back to you. It's like, well, just just be who you are. Own it. Right. If you don't know something. That's OK. Right. 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 Yeah. Well, I know you like to talk about uh, having a cool cult culture and that would probably include having a cool company and cool people. So how, how yeah. do you how do you define that? Maybe you can kind of walk us through that a little bit. Yeah. So I. I've always loved to get in a conversation about this, you know, multi-generations in the workplace and how do you do it when you've got out? I don't, I don't buy into that because I think whether you're 22 or 62, I think people want three things when they come to work. And you're right. I define it as a cool place with cool projects and cool people. And a cool place is either a brand or a company. Maybe it's the office if you're back in an office. But there's something about the company that makes me proud to say, hey, I, I work for this company, right? I like to wear the T-shirt on the weekend because I'm proud to have the brand on. Cool projects is the work. Is the work engaging and rewarding? You know, do I feel like I'm recognized for my contributions? If I am 22 and it's my first job out of college or my first job, you know, out of high school, I'm 20 or whatever, 19, do I see myself being there for a long time? And then cool people has to be the company's commitment about the leaders that they allow to lead people in the organization. And that kind of came out of these three lessons that I've learned along the way. And, and they, it became rules. And I talk about them in the book that, you know, lesson number one, it's okay to have fun at work. 
right, so it's number num one. Number one, it's number okay one. to have fun. It's okay to work. have fun. It, it really is. Believe okay. me, contrary to popular belief in some <laughs> companies, it's okay to have fun at work. Lesson number two. Number two, all right. Poor performing employees don't quit voluntarily. That's right. We all wish they did, but they don't. And lesson number three, by far the most important lesson, which in the book became rule number three, and that is assholes are assholes, they don't change. And so the whole <laughs> cool place, you know, cool place, cool projects, cool people is, you know, are you having some fun? Don't let underperformers show up every day and don't let any assholes lead people. And you're going to have a culture where Monday morning doesn't suck. I promise you. Well, and I think on on lesson number three, I, I, that often I find there are people that are that way. And I think it might be a little bit easier to to get rid of them, especially if they're not like some top, top performer. It's that rare yeah. exception. You get their best salesperson or your best oh, programmer. All the time, right? Right. It does happen. Um, but yeah. I think there's actually a lot of those sort of mid in the middle and you're like, well, they're doing a good enough job and they're kind of, we, yeah. no one really likes them, but they're not really hurting anything. I've seen this a lot in leadership where companies hang on to leaders too long, despite their being yeah. All these negative indications that their team isn't right. performing that well, they're impacting the culture, but yet right. they they know a lot, right? right. They know right. all the customers. They have right. this, they've been there a long time. So right. how, why does that happen? And what are we supposed yeah. to do when that does happen? Yeah, it happens all the time. You're right. And I think, you know, there's kind of three things that get in the way of that. And you hit on a couple of them already. You know, companies let tenure Trump performance. Well, they've been here a long time. Companies let relationships trump performance. Yeah, but you know, I went to college with him. I mean, I coach his son's basketball team. You're telling me I have to deal with him? I have to see him every Saturday. The sales example, companies let performance trump the behavior, right? Mm -hmm. And that this concept that behavior has to be as important as the results. If you believe that, that means your highest performing salesperson may not be with your organization if they're getting those results in the wrong way. So I think companies let those three things get in their way. But in the book, in this tool lead, I think the biggest issue for companies today in creating a great culture is they, again, they don't set expectations for their leaders. So they have nothing to go back to. And these eight concepts, you know, the first one, like I said, I'm not going to read all of them, create a culture high performers want to be a part of, bring energy and enthusiasm to work every day, build relationships at all levels of the organization. Nobody's ever read the list and said, wow, Eric, how'd you come up with that? Like, this is really yeah. revolutionary stuff. <laughs> no, it's really common sense. But if you ask these questions of every leader in your company, it becomes really clear who's doing it and who isn't. And if you roll that out as expectations, it gives you something to go back to. Hey, Chris, we talked about building relationships at all levels of the organization. You've got four people who support you that you haven't even met yet, and they've tried to get on your calendar and you've canceled six times. You know, Help me understand how you think that's building relationships at all levels of the organization. It's not personal. It's not an attack. It's this is what's important right. to us as an organization. If you have that set of leadership expectations, you can do things like hold that sales leader accountable to their behavior or that person who's been here for a long time, but just isn't. Yeah, you're right. They're not doing a lot of damage, but they're not really getting the job done. And so that's where I think the miss is for a lot of companies. What do I hold them accountable to? Because all I told them is what their job responsibility was. You're going to be the VP of finance. But I didn't tell them how we expect you, again, as a leader to show up. Yeah. And and other times when you think maybe the organization has just gotten to a point where, geez, we need to shake up the leadership team. We need to just, you know, it, it, can we get to that point where the problem is big enough or been around long enough that 
It's not just a matter about changing minds. It's about changing the butt in the yeah. seat, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, we've both seen this throughout our career. I mean, it, it's always fascinating to me the difference that one leadership change can make in a company. And sometimes that change is a really positive one. And sometimes that change is not a really positive one. And we all have stories of companies that have this great culture and a new leader comes in and within weeks, it doesn't feel the same. And the reverse can happen as well. And so I think, yeah, there's lots of tools, right? There's turnover and there's, you know, engagement surveys and things that you can do. But I promise that as an organization, and, and you know, you can come up with your own set of expectations, but if you have a set of expectations, when we work with companies and we start assessing the leaders against those eight questions, usually by about question four or five, we can see it in the eyes of the person who is doing the assessing of, oh, they're not the person or, oh, wow, they really are the person. And it just becomes so clear. But yeah, there are times absolutely that, you know what, you have to do that assessment to just check and say, do we have the leaders that people like working for and with? And that's that's a tough question to a- to answer sometimes, and sometimes we don't people don't want to know want to know the answer, right? They right, right. subconsciously know it, but they're you know yeah. if you really go back and ask, well, now I'm going to have to do something about it. Right. And well, and tough. yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're right, and it's it's one thing, and, and I can tell you, we've had a lot of consulting en- engagements where, hey, yeah, we want to do this, and then we start doing it, and it gets real, and it's like, oh. I'm not sure I want to do this because I'm realizing I have to I have to address this person and this person and this person. I mean, that's that's part of the challenge is, you know, you really have to be willing to follow through on that. But, you know, back to the cool place, cool projects, cool people thing for a second. I love to ask, ask leaders, hey, just ask your team, ask somebody from your team tomorrow, you know, hey, is this a cool place with cool projects and cool people? You don't even have to define it for them. But if you ask enough of your employees those three questions, I promise you're going to get some actionable feedback. You might be, you know, maybe shocked at what you hear, but hopefully you get some really be- like cool people. No, like how, you know, what does that even mean? But I, it's just a really yeah. easy starting point to start working on that culture and assessing the leaders, and whatever you might need to address. Yeah. And you, you know, you're probably going to get back at least one. Yeah. Yeah. There's cool people, but cool projects. Sure. Right. Yeah, I don't know if these projects are so cool. Right. Right. Oh, yeah, our projects are great, but the people. (laughs) Right. Right. Or cool place. No, not really. Mm, But yeah. 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 So, I mean, it's just, it's a really fun, you know, engaging way to just sort of start that conversation. Right. Well, the last and most important question for you today, sir, is how can people get a hold of you? How can they find out more about you, your consulting work, uh, your book, all of that? Where should they go? Absolutely. Easiest place is my website, ericharkins.com, E-R-I-C-H-A-R-K-I-N-S, ericharkins.com. You can find out uh, everything you need to on the book, our speaking engagements, the consulting work we do. And uh, that's your best best shot, ericharkins.com. And how good? To not have to, you know, to be able to come in on Monday morning and have things not suck, right? <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you, I've seen it. It's possible, people. Well, I've, I've actually seen it, but right. uh, it's a wonderful thing. <laughs> well, Eric, thank you so much for being such a great guest today. You've yeah, given us thanks. some fantastic insights. We had so much more we could have dove into. <laughs> so I'd love to have you come back next yeah, year and hopefully anytime. We can keep the conversation going, man. Sounds great. Yep. Look forward to it. Thanks, Chris. All right. I'm going to take a quick right. commercial break and right back with my second guest, Dr. Robert Flower. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. 
In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system, or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news, or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. In case you missed my first guest, you can listen to Eric's interview on our podcast on iTunes. You can also go find the, the live video cast that we're doing as well right now on Facebook, on Twitter, on YouTube, and of course, uh, LinkedIn. But my next guest I'm excited to have is Dr. Robert Flower, entrepreneur, consultant, Mensa scholar, author, and educator. Dr. Bob is the author of Decoding the Holy Grail and the Discovery of the Potential Molecule and is a leading authority on potential and achievement with 10 previous books on the subject. Wow, that is a lot. I'm excited to bring him. Dr. Bob, welcome to the show today. Thank you, Chris. It's good to be here. Well, uh, why don't you? Is there anything else that I left out that we, my audience should know about you and, and your incredible work? <laughs> I was going through that with my wife today, and uh, boy, I tell you, it's it's been quite a ride. I, I uh, yes, there there are things, but I think the potential molecule and decoding the um, uh, the Holy Grail have been sort of the highlight uh, of my career. You know, we've had a very successful business career, thank God, uh, and I've got three wonderful grown children that are kind of in related fields and carrying on the whole legacy type of thing. But um, it's it's been exciting. You know, I'm a sportsman aside. I use the uh, principles of the potential molecule. Um, I was a New York State uh, trap shooting champion uh, at one point. And I'm, a, I'm an avid golfer, you know, a decent handicap. So, uh, you know, I try and engage myself in anything and everything to kind of develop my skills and my 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 character. Well, there may certainly may be people who don't know uh, what the potential molecule is. So maybe you could talk about how you discovered it, and you know, exactly what is it? What is it that we're trying to help people understand today? Sure. Many years ago, about uh, a little over 40 years ago, I wrote an article for a financial journal, which uh, I received a response from a, a geneticist by the name of Dr. Daryl Langham. And uh, in the article, I describe uh, various mathematical and geometric factors uh, that uh, sort of have an impact on the marketplace. And he said to me, he said, you know, uh, uh, I work on a concept that I found uh, in uh, in science, in biology, and you're kind of describing this in, a, in an, a practical application. And he explained to me that what he discovered was a, a biological process that uh, concerns the development of a cell, okay? This was an actual physical process. And we discovered that we actually, all of us, 
have this process within us. So I, I, I worked on that for many years with him, and he, he died about 10 years after. And um, I began to understand direct connection with the Holy Grail and the different stories that surround the Holy Grail, and that it really wasn't a myth, that it was a code for this very same biological process. So I had given uh, a character, a, a, a identification, to the principles of this process, and further discovered that this is the way in which we think. It mimics completely, totally how we think. Not what we think, how we think. And after hundreds of applications, uh, and besides that, we've done um, three different um, scientific studies, neurological studies on the process and found that it's 97% valid. So now we, we've discovered this whole thinking process, uh, which we could identify with. And it just led us to a number of different, very exciting discoveries and applications uh, for, for just about anything you want to do, sports, business, what have you, stock market, everything. So how does this maybe correlate with, you know, I, I, most people don't meet their potential. I think most yeah. people walk through the wor world do, doing enough or being okay and but they have so much talent when we might look at them and say they could be you know the best at this thing or that thing or maybe not the best but certainly a lot better right more successful or or be able to achieve more whatever that looks oh, like I, for everybody absolutely, right absolutely absolutely chris so, i mean so, you're, you're hitting so it right is, on the head so why is that what, what is it that's causing that you know that disconnect or that 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 situation to occur yeah in the potential theory, which is uh, an evolution of the uh, molecule, potential molecule, we've discovered that there are four restrictors. Uh, I mean, there are more, but there are four basic restrictors. And when people uh, lack or they can't perform, one or two or all of these restrictors are usually at work. And uh, the four are fear, ego, ignorance, and self-deception. And usually, uh, we find that that's a word. Matter of fact, we did um, a research, a, a preliminary research study recently, and here's very, something very interesting, Chris. We found that a number of people in their decision-making process depend upon, or I'm sorry, implement fear as the basis for their decision-making 89% of the time. Others, about 80% of the time, they're basing their decisions on ignorance. And so on. So ego is about 60% of the time they make decisions, and self-deception is about the same thing, 62, 63%. So to answer your question, people restrict themselves because of their belief system because of the concepts that they've developed throughout their life. And some of them are actually genetic, but mostly of them are, are environmental and come from you know, institutions, family, government, religious, what have you. 
you know, you one know. of the things that I discovered when I was writing my first book, I was quite surprised to find out was that decisions are actually made emotionally first and then validated and, and justified with facts and reasoning and all of this. And then they discovered this by essentially, you know, people that had had brain injuries where they could not have not form emotions, right? Could not actually make any decisions. Oh, that's interesting. Right. And so if you weren't, you could not create an emotion, you could not create, you could not actually make a decision aside from maybe something involuntary. And so I'm, I'm wondering, you know, I think people run around there saying, I make decisions rationally. I'm a factual, rational person, right? And, I, and I'm always trying to challenge them, no, you're actually a very emotional person. And when you understand that, and you can be aware of those emotions that are happening, and, and that you are fearful, you are afraid, you are happy, you are uh, thinking you're going to win a million dollars if you buy this lottery ticket, whatever those emotions are that, you're, that are sort of percolating up into your body, right? You can at least be aware with them. You can make better decisions, uh, I think, going forth. Do you agree with that? Do you disagree with that? Or does, it does that sort of, is there a in tangent part, there to your work? In part. And by the way, just as an aside, I found your work really interesting because in a lot of ways, it does parallel the uh, potential theory. You, mm -hmm. you tend to get to the heart of it, such as corporate culture, which we could, we could talk about. But here's the thing. With, with potential theory. We have four ways and only four ways in which we function, physically, mentally, emotionally, and intuitively, or spiritually. And that, that's, that's another thing, spirit we consider as energy, okay? So in a perfect potential state of mind, what we're doing is we're using all four of those factors in making a decision. Now, we don't do that. Your, your research is absolutely correct. I'm convinced that 85% of the people in the world do not think correctly. Mm -hmm. They're in and out of this potential potential principles. There's, there's 13 of them. And, and what we do is we, we drift from one to what we call a common state of mind, which might be fear or ego or ignorance or, or greed or something of that sort. So the, the whole idea is that we have this perfect mind model of potential, and it's these 13 principles. And then we have a common mind. So what you're talking about is the uh, integration of one with the other, which, is the way in which we live. I mean, it's, you know, you can't walk around like a robot, but it's important that people understand that there are principles to this potential mind that's all inclusive and it's, it's very, very compelling to achieving potential. Mm -hmm. And just as you said, you know, you're, you're missing out because you have these concepts, these belief systems that restrict. And I think you touch upon this. I, I didn't get a chance to get very much into, into your culture, corporate culture book. Culture is a beautiful thing, but it can be very, very restrictive and could prevent people from achieving their potential. Right. So that's something that they have to be careful of. Yeah, I mean, that is the, I guess, the holy grail, I'll, I'll say, for culture, which is that the people that are there are the right people that are able to perform and, and 
you have their best potential, right? They're able to make great decisions based on not only their abilities and 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 the safety and psychological safety you've created, but also be able to make decisions that are in line with the best outcomes for the organization as well. And that's a that's a complex thing to to figure out and to manage and to do. And I it's not no, it's not at all. It's just that uh leadership, uh especially today, is 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 lacking. It's very yeah. poor. Uh, and it doesn't allow for that, you know. Mm-hmm. Actually, mid 1970s, I went to a conference uh, about um, a professionalism and leadership. They were citing different things that restrict corporations. The response from the corporate offices there was, "Well, yeah, that's true, but it doesn't apply to us." <laughs> so it's so it's an escapism, you know. This really sunk in. Was I was fortunate enough to do a um, to become a uh, adjunct professor at the United States Military Academy a number of years ago, and one of the things that stood out to me profoundly was with with, with underclassmen, with grads graduates, and in, even with uh, uh, s- senior teachers and and um, uh, offices was leadership. It was all about leadership. You know, you would walk down the hall there and all of a sudden one of the students would would stop and go army, beat Navy, all different types of leadership vocalizations. And, and, and their leadership was based on two principles, competence and character. Mm. If you think about it, Look at leadership and you could say, well, there's a there's a guy who knows what he's doing, but he's miserable at handling people. Or he doesn't understand this particular aspect and he's missing it. Making judgments based on just those two characteristics alone will enhance potential dramatically. Just those two. Right. And that, that's what you were talking about in, in the corporate culture. The culture is the is the, uh, the the character, and I want to make sure uh, in case someone you know was listening but couldn't jot it down. Uh, the, the four things that you mentioned was physical, it was mental, it was intuition, and what was the fourth one? Emotion. Emotion. Got it. And and that's that's an easy checklist to say if my people are struggling, if I'm struggling, if my company's struggling. What in these four are where we maybe are we not doing a good job at, right? Um, are we not taking care of their physical needs, you know, their mental needs or their uh, emotional? I mean, this is a really great, I think, when we can simplify it for leaders just to go back and ask, how's everyone doing in these four areas? Or where, where can we do better? Um, it's a great, great starting off point for a great conversation to, I think, help your people or to help uh, you be a better leader, right? Absolutely. Uh, uh, there are There are others. These 13 principles break down into three parts. The development of the cell, we found, has three parts to it. It has a planning part, it has an organizational part, and it has a functional part. Those four are the, are the functional. So you look at, if you want planning, you look towards the planning principles. You want organization, you look towards the organizational principles. And of course, if you want uh, action or function, and you look to to the, uh, the four there, and then you you make your you make your measurement, right? Here's one thing that I that I found, Chris, that helps not only uh, 
uh, corporate culture, any type of endeavor, even in sports, I, I found this. You have to set your focus, your mission, your purpose on something higher than yourself. Okay. The thing that, that I use mostly is development of potential. When you make that the objective, when you make that the king of the culture, everything changes. And it changes automatically and it changes internally and it changes for the better because the restrictions go away. You look at restrictions in a totally different light. You don't look at them as suffering. You look at them as a challenge, sort of like the Olympics. You don't go to the Olympics unless you go through hardship. And part of that is developing the potential. That That's yeah. a major, major focus. Yeah, I think people can so often look at professional athletes, Olympians, or anyone who's a high performer and say, they were born that way. They are uniquely talented. And, you know, sometimes can be some physical characteristics that may give them an advantage uh, as a start as a starting point. But they've all had to practice harder than anybody else. They've all had to overcome injuries and setbacks and and losses. And uh, I mean, there's so much they had to overcome to be there, which is why they're there in the end. Yes. Um, right. That I yes, think absolutely. people forget about the journey or they just want to ignore the journey because they don't want to do the journey to get to that point. Right. Which Yeah. Yeah. Is, they, either, either they're ignorant of, of, of the facts or they're too lazy. You know, they, they just don't want to. They don't want to exercise themselves. Their 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 strengths. They don't want to develop their weaknesses, which is a major setback today. People, especially a lot of younger people, they don't want to hear about weaknesses. It's all about strengths and power. Now, that's an interesting area for us to maybe talk about for a second, because I'll, I'll tell you my my thoughts on that. And you can tell me if you think I'm right or wrong or or where we where we might differ. In as it relates to work, I have found that if I focus on where I'm strong and I allow other people to do the, do the jobs where I am not as strong, that I'm happier and ultimately they're happier, right? I mean, simple example, yes. if, I, if I don't enjoy doing accounting, why in the heck would I do accounting, right? right. I, don't, I don't need to go take more accounting classes. If I'm good at selling, I, I should go be selling. I don't need to work on that area where I'm quote unquote weak. Now in personal relationships, I have found that that not to be true. Right. That's right. If, if my wife is annoyed with me because when, every time I come home, I don't say hello or or recognize her, let's say that, you know, or ask her how her day was. I can keep that as a weakness, but I'm probably not going to be married much longer. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yes. Well, there are two organizational principles at work with, with the situation you just described. One is you're doing your your love or your strength and somebody else is doing uh, the weakness right? That's part of the whole, the whole picture. Mm -hmm. So that's a team type of potential development, okay? The part you're just talking about with your wife is individualistic. Right. So that's where the weakness shows up. When, when you're working on individualistic concepts and, and uh, issues and situations as compared to group 
things. So there's there's a distinction there, but they both apply to the principles always apply to both of those. Yeah. And I think it's yeah, like a matter of are you working on maybe your individual weaknesses in an area where you could improve that would improve your overall strengths yes. as a professional versus trying to just be a jack of all trades, right? That's correct. That's and, correct. And I think yes. because that, that, that's the distinction for me is there are definitely things that I do that I don't like to do and other people would love to do. And so that was a really important learning for me as a leader to say, well, I don't want to do this thing, but you do, you care, you take it, you run with it, yeah. you enjoy it. Yeah. Um, but if you're, if you're saying, well, let's be critical about you as the individual and, and maybe all of your people that you report to you have a, the same complaint about you, <laughs> how, how can you rectify that by improvement or change or whatever? I think you can't ignore yeah. it to your point, right? Well, yes. Well, and here's the good news. We have developed seven different assessments that measure, yeah, measure in one part and detect in another part your personal thinking profile. And we can generate over 217,000 different personal profiles from one issue of an individual, Chris, mm -hmm. using, using the, the, this principle, using the holy grail structure, so to speak, okay? And it, 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 the results are 97% are accurate. I mean, it's just, just incredible what we find with people. And incidentally, one of the things that we find with people is that they have a completely erroneous concept of thinking itself. They think, people think, and this goes for science too. I, I, I have arguments with scientists all the time about this. They think that thinking itself is linear. You know, you go and you go on a line, right? But that's not how it works. The way it works is you have these 13 principles in a circle. There's one in the middle, which is your focus or your awareness. And then surrounding it, you have these 12 other principles. And what happens is when you activate the focus or the awareness of a particular point, all of them fire together at the same time in towards that specific point of focus. And, and you continually have these circles continuing on ad infinitum. And that concept is, is very difficult to, to grasp and to employ. But once you get the hang of it, it's natural. It's something that's internal to us. Well, uh, we're out of time, unfortunately. I've really enjoyed this conversation and having a chance to kind of walk through this with you. And, and uh, I always enjoy it when uh, the guests and I don't always agree about everything. We can have a real conversation about it. That's, a, I think, a, a great win for, for me as the host and uh, hopefully for our audience as well to, to hear different perspectives and uh, be able to to hopefully give them something to think about that they can take back to their organizations and, and improve yes. uh, their teams and their, and their leadership abilities. But the most important question of the day before we go here is how can people find out more about you? What's the best way for them to do that? Uh, we have two websites. Um, uh, the first is naturalthinking.org, O-R-G. And the other is Dr. Dr. Bob Flower. Com. Either one will, they integrate 
but you'll find a heck of a lot of information. You'll find the assessments there. The first major assessment is free, so people can get an idea of uh, what we're doing and where they where they 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 stand. But those are the two uh, contact areas that um, that they could reach out to us with. Well, fantastic. Thank you, Dr. Bob, so much for being on the show. And we'll certainly uh, look forward to having you come back at some point and keeping the conversation going. Yeah, Chris, thank you very much. And keep up the good work. You, we appreciate it. All right. Well, thank you so much. And thank you to everyone who tuned into uh, today's show. Hopefully you gained something that you can use in your own career in a positive way. Until next time, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2. 